Well, we are starting a new series today. I'm so excited. We have made our way through Revelation, and now here we are. Holiness is a word that describes the character of God, but also ought to describe His people. It is something we find fascinating because we're drawn to such moral perfection, yet we also find it so terrifying because we acknowledge our own moral imperfection. God has set a high standard for his people in the sinless example of his son, Jesus Christ. And so over the next three weeks, we are going to consecrate ourselves to the sanctifying process by imitating Jesus Christ every day. Amen? This morning, I have strategically chosen some verses from 2 Chronicles 29 and 30 in order to give you an overview of consecration, the consecration of God's people under Hezekiah's leadership. I'm going to invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's word. The scripture is on the screen behind me, so we're going to jump from a few verses, but follow with me. And uh, together, we'll scan over two chapters of 2 Chronicles 29 and 30. Let's read together in one voice. In the first month of the first year of his reign, he opened the doors of the temple of the Lord and repaired them. He brought in the priests and the Levites, assembled them in the square on the east side, and said, Listen to me, Levites. Consecrate yourselves now and consecrate the temple of the Lord, the God of your ancestors. Remove all defilement from the sanctuary. They began the consecration on the first day of the first month, and by the eighth day of the month, they reached the portico of the Lord. For eight more days, they consecrated the temple of the Lord itself, finishing on the 16th day of the first month. The priests, however, were too few to skin all the burnt offerings, so their relatives, the Levites, helped them until the task was finished and until other priests had been consecrated, for the Levites had been more conscientious in consecrating themselves than the priests had been. Hezekiah and well, here we go. Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced at what God had brought about for his people because it was done so quickly. The king and his officials and the whole assembly in Jerusalem decided to celebrate the Passover in the second month. They had not been able to celebrate it at the regular time because not enough priests had consecrated themselves and the people had not assembled in Jerusalem. The couriers went from town to town in Ephraim and Manasseh as far as Zebulun, but people scorned and ridiculed them. Nevertheless, some from Asher, Manasseh, and Zebulun humbled themselves and went to Jerusalem. Also in Judah, the hand of God was on the people to give them unity of mind to carry out what the king and his officials had ordered following the word of the Lord. Although most of the many people who came from Ephraim, Manasseh, Issachar, and Zebulun had not purified themselves, they ate the Passover contrary to what was written. But Hezekiah prayed for them, saying, May the Lord, who is good, pardon everyone who sets their heart on seeking God, the Lord, the God of their ancestors, even if, if they had not cleaned to the rules of the sanctuary. And the Lord heard Hezekiah and healed the people. The Israelites who were present in Jerusalem 
celebrated the festival of unleavened bread for seven days with great rejoicing. While the Levites and priests praised the Lord every day with resounding instruments dedicated to the Lord. And a great number of priests consecrated themselves. There was great joy in Jerusalem. For since the days of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, there had not been nothing like this in Jerusalem. The priests and the Levites stood to bless the people, and God heard them, for their prayers reached heaven, his holy dwelling place. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for 2 Chronicles 29 and 30. And Lord, we submit our hearts to your word today. Father, make us holy as you are holy. We need to grow in this area of our lives. Holy has become an old-fashioned word. But Lord, would you resurrect this word in the life of this congregation and all over this place. May, may holiness be found in our lives. That we would live and be more like you, Jesus Christ. So Father, I pray that as we begin this series, you would lead us and guide us and speak to us. And today, Lord, would you consecrate us. We dedicate our lives to you afresh today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Everyone said, amen. You may be seated. The annals of Israel and Judah's history recorded in First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles covers all the pertinent details of the reign of 41 kings and one queen. What started off as a unified kingdom with Saul, David, and Solomon suddenly became a divided kingdom separating Israel in the north and Judah in the south. All the kings of Israel did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And then there were only eight kings of Judah who did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Their names are Asa, Jehoshaphat, Joash, Amaziah, Azariah, Jotham, Hezekiah, and Josiah. Their reigns, as you observe them and study them, you will see that their reigns are noticeably longer than the others. Because when you follow the Lord, you can live long and prosper. Nevertheless, while they did serve the Lord at some point of each of their lives, they failed the Lord in some sort of way. The one king that rises to the top of the list of the eight kings is Hezekiah. His reign can be found in 2 Kings 18 to 20 and 2 Chronicles 29 to 31. Also in the book of Isaiah, he can be found. However, none of these accounts are identical accounts. Why are there two specific accounts here, one in Kings and one in Chronicles? The famous Christian radio broadcaster, Dr. J. Vernon McGee, made a helpful observation distinguishing the purpose of the book of Kings from the book of Chronicles. You see, Kings records the political history. Chronicles records the religious history. Kings gives us man's viewpoint, while Chronicles gives us God's viewpoint. With religious history and God's viewpoint in mind, let me introduce you to the man named Hezekiah. According to 2 Chronicles 29, 1-2, Hezekiah was 25 years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother's name was Abijah, daughter of Zechariah. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father, really his forefather, David, had done. And as I studied Hezekiah's reign this week, there's one word that appears eight times 
18 times, apologies, 18 times in the span of three chapters between 2 Chronicles 29 and 31. That word, my friends, is consecration. What does it mean to be consecrated? It means to be set apart, to be set apart as something holy to the Lord. It is a priestly term. And in the Bible, people, places, and things are consecrated to the Lord. In 2 Chronicles 29 and 30, there was a consecrated people, a consecrated temple, consecrated bread, consecrated articles, consecrated animals, consecrated instruments. You see all these things that are consecrated to the Lord. And yet we feel so far removed from all of this because we do not worship in a temple. So then what are some modern-day examples of consecration? Well, we did some of those things today on this platform. This morning, we dedicated three babies and three sets of parents to the Lord as an act of consecration. This morning, we installed and prayed over our elders and deacons. That was an act of consecration. We set them apart for that task. Sometimes there's an ordination of a pastor. That would be an act of consecration. There are many acts of consecration. I really believe that we're at a spiritual turning point in the life of our church. I believe that God is calling us to do this very first thing, to consecrate ourselves and to become a Hezekiah generation. Amen? Have you consecrated yourself? Have we collectively consecrated ourselves to the Lord? I hope we'll do that today. This morning, I want us to make a three-part consecration to the Lord based on Hezekiah's example in 2 Chronicles 29 and 30. The first point this morning is let us make a collective consecration. Find this in 2 Chronicles 29, verses 3 to 5, and also verse 17. The scripture says, in the first month of the first year of his reign... Hezekiah, he opened the doors of the temple of the Lord and repaired them. He brought in the priests and the Levites and assembled them in the square on the east side. And he said, listen to me, Levites. Consecrate yourselves now and consecrate the temple of the Lord, the God of your ancestors, and remove all defilement from the sanctuary. And they began the consecration on the first day of the first month. And by the eighth day of the month, they reached the portico of the Lord. And for eight more days, they consecrated the temple of the Lord itself, finishing on the 16th day of the first month. In our day and in our time, Christian faith has become a privatized faith. We say, I'll do me and you do you. I think I dropped my poppy. I do me, you do you. But I really believe we need to restore this communal aspect of our faith. Yes, God wants to speak to us directly, to a single person, but God also wants to speak to us as a community. Are your ears open this morning to hear what the Spirit of God is saying to the church at large? That means that God wants to speak to us here at WPA as a body. Consecration is not only to be decided individually, it is also meant to be done collectively. And in the case of Israel, it was an entire nation consecrating themselves and their place of worship to the Lord. We must never forget that Hezekiah was a young adult when he became king. A 25-year-old was entrusted with the spiritual responsibility of leading an entire nation towards holiness. What a responsibility upon his shoulders. Verse 3 specifies, in the first month of the first year, 
of his reign. You see, this was Hezekiah's first agenda item. Consecration must always start in the hearts of the leaders before it can translate into the hearts of the congregation. And the church leadership and I have been consecrating ourselves. I'm telling you, we've been doing this together. We've been consecrating ourselves to the Lord. And I believe that today it's your turn. We have consecrated ourselves to prayer on Saturdays for almost one year now. On the first Saturday, the deacons and the elders meet for prayer. On the second Saturday, the intercessors meet for prayer. On the third Saturday, the pastors meet for prayer. On the fourth Saturday, the ladies' prayer group meets for prayer. And I said this at the annual general meeting, but I'm going to say it again. I'm going to personally invite you to join me in consecrating the fifth Saturday to church-wide corporate prayer. We need to get back to the basics, friends. We need to pray together. This will take place four times a year in the months whenever there is a fifth Sunday, Saturday. So just remember, fifth Saturday, corporate prayer at the church. The first one's going to take place November 30th from 8.30 to 9.30 in the morning. And friends, I believe this is going to be a catalytic moment in our church. That when you and I, I believe not just in the tens, but in the hundreds, when we gather together in this place, we're going to hear from God. We're going to consecrate our lives to him afresh. We're going to say, Lord, do what you want to do in this church. We are at your service. We are ready to do what you tell us to do. And I tell you, it's going to be a catalyst. It's going to move us forward with great momentum because we are unified through prayer. We are unified. We're collectively consecrated to the Lord. At the turn of a new year, People often make New Year's resolutions to address areas needing change in their lives. We're soon coming to a new year, 2020. That's going to be awesome. But here are the top 10 resolutions. Exercise more. Lose weight. Get organized. Learn a new skill. Live life to the fullest. Save more. Spend less. Quit smoking. I hope that doesn't apply to anybody here. Maybe it does. Spend more time with family and friends. Travel more. I like that one. Read more. Majority of people start off strong, but quickly fade in their focus and their commitment. But this was so much more for our friend Hezekiah here in the Word of God. This was so much more than a New Year's resolution on the first of the year and the first day, the first month. This is so much more than a New Year's resolution. This is a reformation. This is a national reformation. This is a corporate reformation of faith. God starts with the reformation of holiness in the human heart, and then that moves to reformation of holiness in his house. Did you catch it? It took 16 days to finish consecrating the temple. That's a long time, 16 days. I believe that one of the chronic illnesses, illnesses Christians suffer from is forgetfulness. You see, we may consecrate ourselves today, but forget that we consecrated ourselves tomorrow. I mean, I forget what I ate for breakfast yesterday. So we can easily forget when we consecrated ourselves. We do not need a season of consecration. We need a lifestyle of consecration. We need to hold one another accountable to holiness each and every day of our lives. We need to check in with each other. We need to know each other. We need to text each other. We need to email each other. We need to go to small group and ask each other, how are you doing in the area 
of holiness because it's a collective faith. Second point this morning is let us make a conscientious consecration. Reading from verse 34 onwards, the priests, however, were too few to skin all the burnt offerings, so their relatives, the Levites, helped them until the task was finished and until other priests had been consecrated, for the Levites had been more conscientious in consecrating themselves than the priests had been. The couriers went from town to town in Ephraim and Manasseh as far as Zebulun, but people scorned and ridiculed them. Nevertheless, some from Asher, Manasseh, Zebulun, humbled themselves and went to Jerusalem. Also in Judah, the hand of God was on the people to give them unity of mind. I love that. To carry out what the king and his officials had ordered following the word of the Lord. And although most of the many people who came from Ephraim Manasseh, Issachar, Zebulun had not purified themselves, yet they ate the Passover contrary to what was written. Hezekiah prayed for them, saying, May the Lord, who is good, pardon everyone who sets their heart on seeking God, the Lord, the God of their ancestors, even if, even if they are not clean according to the rules of the sanctuary. And the Lord heard Hezekiah and healed the people. Whatever the king decreed was meant to be carried out nationwide. And yet the, deci the decision still had to be made within the heart of every single person in Israel and in Judah. See, even in a monarchy, people want to make a de democratic decision. Will I do this or will I not do this? Am I for this or am I against this? The question is, will we become the critical mass of people who champion the spiritual change in direction, or will we be the people who criticize the spiritual change in direction? I believe that God wants us to become more conscientious in the area of consecration. As you read these scriptures, you will notice 2 Chronicles 29, 34, that the Levites were more conscientious in consecrating themselves than the priests. Why is this important? Why is this worth mentioning today? Well, all priests are Levites, but not all Levites are priests. While they all came from the same tribe, they had different responsibilities delegated to them. Levites maintained the outer courts. They were gatekeepers, and they took care of the temple. They were musicians and choirs. And yet the priests, they were on the inner courts of the temple. They mediated the sacrifices on behalf of the people to God. The irony here is that the lesser is more consecrated than the greater. See, you don't have to be a pastor to consecrate your life. That's, I could get an amen there. You don't have to be a pastor to consecrate your life. You just have to be a believer in Jesus Christ, and that's more than enough to consecrate your life. Consider the magnitude of this statement. It's like saying that the worship team or the greeters are more conscientious in consecrating themselves than the pastor's. I pray that that would never be the case for our pastors, but I do pray that you would be this conscientious about consecration. We believe, I'm, I'm going to say it today, we believe in a priesthood of all believers. That means that we have all been set apart to a priestly ministry before the Lord. And because of what Christ has done, 1 Peter 2.9 speaks to our true identity. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. 
that you may declare the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. See, all that is required is that you've been pulled from darkness into his marvelous light. And that itself should cause you to consecrate your life. You do not have to be born a Levite. You don't have to be born a Christian in order to be set apart to be holy to the Lord. There were two responses to the couriers that delivered Hezekiah's letter about consecration. He was calling the whole, all the tribes of Israel to consecration that day. The first response is they ridiculed them. Second Chronicles 30, 10. The couriers went from town to town in Ephraim and Manasseh as far as Zebulun, but people scorned and ridiculed them. There are some of you here today that tuned out the moment you heard the word holiness but because you felt that, that that doesn't apply to you. It's the same thing that happened to some of these tribes. The tribe of Ephraim completely rejected the letter. The tribes, the half-tribes of Manasseh and Zebulun also rejected the letter. And maybe their excuse was founded on not enough time or the distance one would have to travel all the way to get to Jerusalem. But ultimately it was a cause of either two things. Spiritual pride, we're too good. Spiritual apathy, I don't care. The second response was that they humbled themselves. Second Chronicles 30 verse 11, nevertheless some from Asher, Manasseh, and Zebulun humbled themselves and went to Jerusalem. There are some of you here today that tapped in the moment you heard the word holiness because you know this applies to you. Some from Asher and those remaining from Manasseh and Zebulun humbled themselves and immediately made way to Jerusalem. I want you to know that there is a better example even among these tribes because all of them are spiritually divided. They're not sure. Some of them go and some of them stay. I pray that we would be like the people of Judah. Second Chronicles 30 verse 12 describes their unique response to the letter. Also in Judah, the hand of God was on the people to give them unity of mind. To carry out what the king and his officials had ordered following the word of the Lord. My prayer for you today is that you would be like Hezekiah. My second prayer for you today is that you'd be like the tribe of Judah. I know that we will not reject the call to consecration like those in Ephraim. I know we're not that crazy. But I'm really worried that we might have a mixed response today like those in Manasseh, those in Zebulun, and those in Asher. Some go, some stay. See, the church is not meant to be a half in, half out. It's meant to be all in. If you belong to the tribe of WPA, I'm calling you to be like the tribe of Judah, to be unified in mind, to pursue holiness through conscientious consecration. Because Hebrews 12, 14 says this, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. You need to be holy as he is holy. Let's not forget the spiritual healing that took place when people humbled themselves and made their way to Jerusalem. Second Chronicles 30, 18 describes people from the tribes of Ephraim, Manasseh, Issachar, and Zebulun who made their journey to Jerusalem in pure obedience to King Hezekiah's letter, but they came spiritually ill-prepared and physically unclean. They should have come with their offerings. They should have come purified already. That way they can meet the holy God with any, any hindrance between them. 
See, in the Old Testament, people had to go through purification rituals in order to meet with that holy God. And instead of being angry with them for breaking the rules and regulations of the temple and of the Passover, God hears Hezekiah's prayer on their behalf and makes the exception to reconcile them to himself on the basis of the purity of their hearts. What is God looking for today? 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, people look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The greatest healing, my friends, that you can ever experience is your healing from sin when you consecrate your life to the Lord. Third point this morning is let us make a celebratory consecration. A celebratory consecration. Beginning in verse 36, Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced at what God had brought about for his people because it was done so quickly. And the king and his officials and the whole assembly in Jerusalem decided to celebrate the Passover in the second month. They had not been able to celebrate it at the regular time because not enough priests had consecrated themselves and the people had not assembled in Jerusalem. The Israelites who were present in Jerusalem celebrated the festival of unleavened bread for seven days with great rejoicing, while the Levites and priests praised the Lord every day with resounding instruments dedicated to the Lord. And there was great joy in Jerusalem, for since the day of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, there had been nothing like this in Jerusalem. And the priests and the Levites stood to bless the people And God heard them for their prayers reached heaven, his holy dwelling place. Often when we think of consecration, we think of wearing biblical sackcloth and being in the dust and moping around, wallowing about our sin. But this is not the case. See, the emotional tone of consecration is not one of sorrow, but actually it's one of joy. The pre-sacrifice for sins led to the people's offering of thanksgiving. 2 Chronicles 29, 32 to 33 accounts the number of burnt offerings the assembly brought was 70 bulls, 100 rams, and 200 male lambs, all of them for burnt offerings to the Lord. The animals consecrated as sacrifices amounted to 600 bulls and 3,000 sheep and goats. That's a lot of animals. But after this, the people celebrated Passover. They celebrated together in Jerusalem, even though it was one month delayed. It was going to be a celebration. Second Chronicles 30, 24 accounts, Hezekiah, king of Judah, provided a thousand bulls and 7,000 sheep and goats for the assembly. And the officials provided them with a thousand bulls and 10,000 sheep and goats. As you can see, The consecrated animals for the celebration of the Passover were in the thousands to ten thousands, while the consecrated animals for the sacrifice and offerings were in the hundreds, almost to the thousands. What is the point? The point is after you consecrate yourself, you celebrate. You celebrate what God has done for you. You celebrate all that God has accomplished. There's always a great celebration after a time of consecration, and the celebration continues and never stops. I want to briefly draw your attention to two specific priorities in the midst of their celebration. The first is this, celebration through worship. They had a worship service. It was awesome. 
Between the time of Solomon and Hezekiah, the people of God had been worshiping all kinds of idols. 2 Kings 18.4 tells us that Hezekiah removed the high places, smashed the sacred stones, cut down the Asherah poles. He broke into pieces that bronze snake Moses had made. For up until that time, the Israelites had been burning incense to it. It was called Nahashten. With all these distractions removed, smashed, cut down, broken into pieces, the Israelites could now focus on the true worship of the one and only true God. This celebration marked the return back to biblical worship. And what we now consider as spirit-inspired scriptures were the lyrics of the songs that they sung that day. 2 Chronicles 30, 29 to 30 tells us, When the offerings were finished, the king and everyone present with him knelt down and worshipped. King Hezekiah and his officials ordered the Levites to praise the Lord with the words of David and Asaph the seer. So they sang praises with gladness and bowed down and worshipped. David and Asaph. They've been dead for 250 years, but their words were recorded in the Psalms and they continue to shape God's people, the worship from the time of Hezekiah all the way to our time now. We need to return to biblical worship, not songs that just make us feel good, but songs that find their origin in Scripture. David wrote at least 73 out of the 150 psalms. Asaph wrote one, uh, 12 out of the 150 psalms, specifically Psalm 50. Psalm 73 to 83 is likely that that day they had sung more than half of the book of psalms together as a body in worship during the celebration of Passover. Sorry to break it to you, this was no hour and a half service. And we think an hour and a half is long. These guys know how to celebrate. They know how to worship. This Passover celebration lasted seven days. But then in verse 23, the people agreed to extend it for another seven days, a total of 14 days. I mean, what if church was that good? I mean, we have Sunday morning, and then you're here worshiping, meeting with God, experiencing his presence. And you're like, Pastor, it's so good. Let's do this tomorrow. I mean, I would do it. I'd come, I'd show up. And then what if you said that for 14 days? Well, 16 days of consecrating the temple plus 14 days of celebrating Passover equals a total of 30 days in pursuit of holiness. A whole month of their lives in pursuit of holiness. You know, some say it takes 21 days to make or to break a, a habit. The Bible teaches us that it takes a minimum of 30 days to become consecrated. No one was looking at their watch, waiting for the celebration to end. This was the best spiritual celebration they had had in a long time. Second Chronicles 30, 26 reports, there was great joy in Jerusalem. For since the days of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, there had been nothing like this in Jerusalem. They would say, I've never seen this before. There'd be some who were younger, who had never experienced what Solomon experienced. It was like, I've never seen this before. And the parents would say, and grandparents would say, ah, oh, we had a day like this during the time of Solomon. We had a day like this during the time of David. Friends, do you want to see revival? Do you want to see renewal? Because seasons of revival and renewal are conceived in times of consecration. 
I believe God wants to do this at WPA by reforming our worship. Where's the worship team this morning? Just raise your hand at me. I'm not done yet. But you can raise your hand. All over this place. Who's on the worship team in our church? Raise your hand for a moment. Don't be ashamed. It's good. I see it. Even youth worship team, even better. Good. Let me just speak to you for a second this morning. Let me just prophesy over all your lives today. You have been set apart to be Levites unto the Lord. You are to consecrate your hearts today because God wants to use you in a powerful way to lead us into the next season. You are not here just to play music. You're not here just to have a platform for yourself. You are here to lead us by your consecrated lifestyle and to lead us in worship. And when you sing, we will follow you. So I declare that over your lives today. You're not just a regular worship team. We're consecrating you for the the act of prophesying, for for the service of singing unto the Lord. Listen, my heart is to worship. For 10 years of my life, I was a worship pastor. We are going to go to the next level. Do you believe that? We're going to see things we've never seen before. We're going to hear things we've never heard before. There are former generations that saw and heard things that we've only heard of. And now we're going to experience it for ourselves. Secondly, this morning, the second Strategic thing that I want you to see in the midst of their celebration is celebration through prayer. Celebration through prayer. It was the responsibility of the spiritual leaders to pronounce blessing over the people. But corruption had set in and they failed to fulfill their spiritual duty to the people. And prayer comes back to a place of priority only through times of consecration. Church needs to pray together. People need to pray together. 2 Chronicles 30, 27 concludes, the priests and the Levites stood to bless the people. And what? God heard them. For their prayer reached from the earth all the way to the heavens, to the holy dwelling place of God. Those who consecrate themselves together cannot help but pray for one another. See, when we experience God together and we, we experience a move of God and a powerful time of worship, when we pray together, we will continue to pray for each other because we've been bound together in a spirit of unity and because we've met with God and nothing can separate that. Prayer binds people together. The consecrated life will experience a shift in one's prayer life from praying selfish prayers like, Lord, bless me, to praying selfless prayers like, Lord, bless them. But there is so much more to this than the mutual prayer support that we can provide for one another. See, when you consecrate yourself to the Lord, nothing can hinder your prayer from reaching the ears of the Lord. Nothing. Because your spirit will be in tune with the Holy Spirit. Your prayers will ascend all the way to the dwelling place of God. This means that God will not turn a deaf ear towards you. He will hear the prayers of consecrated people. So friends, as the prayers of consecrated people go up, what happens? The blessings come down. I conclude this morning with an illustration. One of the most dedicated Christian women of the 19th century, Frances Ridley Havergal, was the youngest child of a Church of England minister. And though she was always in frail health, she led an active life, encouraging many people to turn to Jesus and others to seek a deeper spiritual walk with the Lord. 
Havergal had begun reading and memorizing the Bible at the age of four. Eventually memorizing the Psalms, Isaiah, and most of the New Testament, Isaiah. Imagine that. And at seven, she wrote her first poems. Several of her mature verses became hymns. And because her voice was so lovely, Havergal was in demand as a concert soloist. She was also a brilliant pianist and learned several modern languages as well as Greek and Hebrew. I mean, this girl is smart. And with all her education, however, Havergal maintained a simple faith and confidence in the Lord. She never wrote a line of poetry without praying over it. I went for a little visit of five days, wrote Havergal explaining what prompted her to write her well-known hymn, Take My Life and Let It Be. There were 10 persons in the house. Some were unconverted and long prayed for, some converted but not rejoicing Christians. God gave me the prayer, Lord, give me all in the house. And he just did. Before I left the house, everyone had got a blessing. The last night of my visit, I was too happy to sleep and passed most of the night in renewal of my consecration. And those little couplets formed themselves and chimed in my heart one after another till they finished with ever only all for thee. It was on this day, February 4th, 1874, that Francis wrote the hymn that is still sung all around the world. One of the lines of Havergal's hymn says, Take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. And in 1878, four years after writing the hymn, Havergal wrote to a friend, the Lord has shown me another little step, and of course, I have to take it with extreme delight. Take my silver and my gold now means to me shipping off all my ornaments to the church missionary house, including a jewel cabinet that is really fit for a, count a countess, where all will be accepted and disposed of for me. Nearly 50 articles are being packed up, and I don't think I ever packed a box with such pleasure. You'll remember that we started the sermon in 2 Chronicles 29, 1-2 with an introductory statement, and now we end in 2 Chronicles 31, 20-21 with a summary statement. This is what Hezekiah did throughout Judah, doing what was good and right and faithful before the Lord his God in everything that he undertook in the service of God's temple and in obedience to the law and the commands, he sought his God and worked wholeheartedly and so he prospered. What was the secret of Hezekiah and Havergal's spiritually vital life and leadership? It was consecration. A consecrated lifestyle that values a collective faith over an individual faith. A consecrated lifestyle that values being conscientious rather than being casual. A consecrated lifestyle that values celebration rather than wallowing in defeat. So this morning, instead of ending by singing her song, let's make her lyrics our heartfelt prayer. Would you stand with me? Father, we pray the words of take my life, let it be. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments, Lord, and my days. Let them flow in endless praise. 
Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful, O Lord, for thee. Take our voices, Lord, and let us sing. Always only for my king. Take my lips and let them be filled with messages from thee. Take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. Take my intellect and use every power as thou shalt choose. Take my will and make it thine, it shall no longer be mine. Take my heart, it is thine own, it shall be thy royal throne. Take my love, my Lord, I pour, at thy feet its treasure store. Take myself and I will be ever only all for thee. God, that is our prayer this morning.